Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Movie Commentary Podcast. I'm Nick Everett, as your host um, for this wonderful episode. And uh, today we're going to be watching uh, a very popular film from 1993. We are watching Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, uh, what Jeff Goldblum, and uh, no, Richard Attenborough, that's the other guy, his, his name. So, so we're watching Jurassic Park. Um, Obviously, you know, one of the most popular films, you know, of all time. But I think another thing that a lot of people kind of lose when listening, when watching Jurassic Park and kind of as it, you know, as we as we get further and further along in the special effects age of, you know, in the CGI movie, I think movies industry, I think we forget the, you know, the importance of how the early 90s impacted, you know, computer graphics, you know, um, special effects. And Jurassic Park was a was a big part of that, so um, that's definitely something we'll be talking about. Um, so without further ado, let me go ahead and start the movie up here. And I always love watching the, they got the, I'm actually watching the Jurassic Park DVD, the old uh, collector's edition DVD, and it's got the old, like, 90s era Universal logo. I always love watching these movies with, like, the older, like, logos on them, because it just looks kind of cool, so. So... The, so Jurassic Park is one of those rare instances, I believe, that a film has actually kind of superseded. I don't even know if I'm using that word correctly. I'm not good at again. I'm not good at English, to be quite honest with you. It's a film that so Jurassic Park is actually originally based is based on a novel by the same name of Jurassic Park, and it's actually based on. So it was actually um, a novel written by a man named Michael Crichton. Um, and his original kind of idea for um, the for Jurassic Park was he was gonna have a he basically had like this idea where like somebody basically like they had like this college student that essentially like re, that was able to like recreate dinosaurs and that kind of thing, and so it basically got into this idea where he you know had where they had this theme park that they were you know recreating genetically you know genetically recreating you know cloning dinosaurs and that kind of thing so. And he was writing it, I think the I think he started developing it the late eighties, kind of early nineties. He was actually around the same time that they were um and it actually got brought to the attention of Steven Spielberg, who at the time with Michael Crichton was actually developing a screenplay for a TV show, a famous TV show that event the um a very famous TV show that eventually became ER. Um they were developing that screenplay, Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg, and um at the time, um, Michael Crichton, you know, Steven Spielberg is asking him, like, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, what are you doing in the world of books? Because, you know, Michael Crichton, you know, was a very famous act, um, you know, was a famous, you know, author. And Steven Spielberg, you know, Michael Crichton essentially told him, I have this idea of cloning, dino- of, you know, cloning dinosaurs, genetics, all that kind of stuff. So, and then they, um, um, and then basically Steven Spielberg like he liked that idea. He liked the idea so much that he basically kind of shelved the ER idea for a few years, and then um, basically got to work on Jurassic Park. And it was actually kind of funny. Um, they actually bought the rights. Universal got the rights to Jurassic Park before the book was even published, and they paid quite a premium for it. Actually, there was a lot of like studios. I mean, I think almost all the major studios. I think were going after the going after the rights of the film. Yeah, like Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox. I mean, Universal finally got it. So, and so, um, yeah. So, 
we'll get back to some of that. So we're watching this opening scene here. We have um, the um, what they look like they're doing is they're putting this raptor. We don't know what it is. This creature. We obviously we think it's a dinosaur. But and he's got a hold of this one guy that's trying to you know load them into like this pen, so to speak, and the raptor. Unfortunately, uh, takes a hold of one of the loader loading guys named Joffrey and kind of. I don't know if it, they say that he maims that she or he maims it, but him or something like that. But I'm not really sure. So, so it's kind of the introduction of you know, you know of uh, I mean obviously of you know the of you know the dinosaurs and that kind of thing. It's always funny. I love. I always love Jurassic Park. They got these like great like opening scenes here, like Jurassic Park and even the Lost World and. Um, that kind of thing. So, so what it's writing on here, the going back to the book rights, which I find actually really interesting with all these. So they said that uh, Michael Crichton demanded a one point five million dollars for the film rights before the book was even published, and then Universal, you know, obviously acquired the rights. You know, and Steven Spielberg was going to, you know, direct them, direct it, and then, and then. Um, Essentially, I think what they did was they actually hired Michael Crichton. I think they gave him another like five hundred thousand dollars to write the screen, write one of the screenplays, which they used part of. They didn't use the entire screenplay. They there was a there was a bit of a collaboration with Michael Crichton and David Kep on the screenplay. So, so now we have a um a pretty interesting scene here where. You you don't it's we're kind of getting just some exposition dumps right here. Um. We have um, a guy. We have a guy. Basically, what they said is in this amber mine, and he's looking at this. Uh, he's like looking at like this, like like fossilized amber, and as we can see, there's like a mosquito that's like trapped inside it, and we're all like, you know, it's like a big, you know, monumental close up, and we're all wondering like, what the heck's going on? And we see like this, you know, looks like a mosquito in amber that's basically kind of encased in there, and then. It's like making a big. Basically, the film's making a big deal out of it. Like this is going to be important later. So, of course, at the right now we don't know what's going on. So, um, and then we also got introduced to um, Donald Gennaro, who's the lawyer, I believe, for the insurance companies that are, I think, insuring the you know part that John Hammond's you know in, in charge of that kind of thing. And basically, what he's saying is that you know we need to get you know that there's a team that's after the whole like because they had the whole like incident with the. The loading guy, where he essentially um, got maimed by that, you know, what we'll find out later is a Velociraptor, and then he essentially, there's all these insurance people coming and saying that, hey, we need there, we need to have like a, we need to have a um, like a, a team of experts to like come in and make sure that the park is safe and like in, like endorse the park, so to speak. And one of the people that John Hammond wants to get, who we are being introduced to right now, is a uh, Dr. D- Dr. Alan Grant, and um. Also, we were also introduced to uh, Dr. Ellie Sattler. So, Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and um, Laura, and uh, Dr. Ellie Sattler, played by uh, Laura Dern, um, in this movie. So, um, and Alan Grant. Um, so, Alan Grant. I think they actually had um, Alan Grant. I think they had him as a. Um, the thing they had him as a. He was kind of like a. What was it like? Like a. Was like an amalgam, like a like a 
a depiction of uh, Jack Horner, a real-life paleontologist, because Alan Grant's a paleontologist. And Jack Horner, who was a real-life paleontologist, not only was kind of the design for Alan Grant, but he was also... Um, but he was also like a technical advisor on the film. One of the things this film, Steve Spielberg and a lot of the creators on this film wanted to get right was they wanted to portray realistic dinosaurs, and that's actually what they're talking about right now. Is this is and um and they actually have this like weird contraption thing where um wh- where what was it? It it was like this like kind of radar thing where like they basically like like I don't know what it was like basically um. I don't know. It's like this weird contraption that basically like sent like radar signals into the ground, and it sent like, and then it sent back the um, the the outlook of basically a velociraptor, um, you know, skeleton. And what they essentially were talking about is how that dinosaurs are actually um, evolved into modern day birds. Actually, that they are have more in common with our modern day birds and you know, um, um, birds rather than you know reptiles and then maybe amphibians, that so to speak. Maybe not amphibians, but just reptiles. Um, and that's a that was a a, a the, that's a theory that's been kind of permutating dinosaurs. That that's actually I think a theory that's more in the mainstream now than it was here. I mean, I remember back in '93. I mean, paleontologists they weren't. I mean, this film really kind of I think pushed the the field of paleontology forward, um, especially you know because you know before I mean I think when people actually you know would see dinosaurs in a realistic looking setting, I think it really kind of pushed them towards it, but. Back then, you know, one of the theories that Jack Horner, the paleontologist that was helping on this film here, they would, they decided, hey, let's go ahead and, you know, go with this theory that, you know, dinosaurs are actually evolved into birds rather than, you know, mammals. And um, and they actually incorporated, you know, we'll see later, you know, they incorporated, you know, real life, like looking, um, like movements of the velociraptors and, and of the dinosaurs to make them kind of, like, quick-looking heads, like, you know, how birds look nowadays, so, like, because you have, like, sometimes you have a bird, you know, he's, like, startled, and he, like, looks quickly one way or the other, so. And then we also had a nice little scene there with Alan Grant where he essentially just petrified a little kid into having him scared of velociraptors for the rest of his life. It's also a bit of a, you know, a bit of a character moment with uh, Grant with where we determine that he's not really, you know, where where he's not you know really um, that much into he's he's not really affectionate towards kids and um, that kind of thing which is I think is actually a bit different the the movie of Jurassic Park I mean it's a the the what was it um the movie what was it the movie The, what was it the movie Jurassic Park? I think like how Alan Grant was like portrayed in there, and how he was portrayed in the book is actually quite different. Because I think in the book he's actually not as um oh sorry this scene these scenes here are just too good to not not pay attention to. But anyway, so I think in the book Alan Grant was not as um you know demonstrative or, you know, mean towards kids he's in this movie. He's kind of a cold character at the beginning of the movie, but then as we obviously go along, he's um, a lot, you know, he becomes a lot, you know, more affectionate towards kids. And then, and then what we get here is uh, we have the introduction of um, 
John um, John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, which is a bit of a funny kind of trivia. Que- it's actually a bit of a trivia question here. You have Richard Attenborough, who is actually a, himself a former uh, a director himself, actually, and um, he and Richard Attenborough directed the 1982 film Gandhi, which actually won the Academy Award for Best Picture, which. The main film that Gandhi was competing against for Best Picture was, lo and behold, Steven Spielberg's, the director of this film's, um, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So basically you have the director, you basically have the director of a 1982 nominee for Best Picture directing the director of the Best Picture director nominee in 1982, so. I don't know, something I thought that was a pretty interesting kind of little trivia thing there, so. And then Richard, of course, and then Richard Attenborough, he's, you know, brother, you know, David Attenborough, you know, the Attenborough family is, you know, quite a bit. Not the, not, not the Attenborough that, you know, you get like in those, uh, like life documentaries where he's like narrating everything, but, um, still, you know, they still got a pretty awesome, you know, um, you know, pretty voice. <laughs> so, and that's actually another thing that we'll kind of learn about in this film. So one thing I was talking about just before I, um, this scene here was that how Grant and, Grant was a bit of a different depiction in the book than he is in the movie. It's definitely the same with um Alan Grant with um no not Alan Grant Doctor um with uh, John Hammond here, and he um and uh, he uh and um in the book John Hammond was actually a lot more of a kind of a not as sympathetic character as we see in the movie here. As we go along in the movie, as we first meet him, we meet this guy, he's, you know, he's got, he's, you know, dressed in all white, and he's got this really funny-looking hat on, and he's this really charming-looking guy, and he's basically selling them into... And uh, he's basically asking, he's basically coming into their dig site to basically ask for... um. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler to come to this, you know, theme park and basically have them endorse it, so. And, and it's kind of funny because, you know, they, he basically says that, you know, Grant, you know, and Sattler needed, you know, funding for this dig site of theirs, so, um, so Hammond basically says that, you know, hey, I'll fund your entire dig if you come out to this park and basically help me out here, so, I mean, the thing I was saying is that, you know, Grant, I mean, Hammond, in the movie here, he's very, you know, kind of a charming guy, but in the book, he was actually kind of not as, again, he was not sympathetic, he was, I mean, we is, and there's kind of different instances earlier, like, one of the things I think Michael Crichton even stated was that he wanted, um, he wanted, um, John Hammond in the book to be more like, um, like a dark version of Walt Disney, you know, very showman, but very also, like, ruthless in how he did it as well. Um, you know, very, you know, doggedly determined to get what he wanted. And then in the movie here, you know, Spielberg kind of changed that idea because Spielberg kind of um, empathized or he kind of saw sympathized or empathized. I don't know. Again, I don't know. But he, he saw the, the showmanship of John Hammond and he saw and he kind of, you know, he understood it and he wanted him to be a bit more of a sympathetic character because, you know, Steven Spielberg understood the showmanship of you know, of thing, uh, you know, he understood, like, the showmanship of, you know, attractions, and especially with Spielberg, him being a director, that's kind of, you know, his his big M.O., so. And now we get, we now we get introduced to another main kind of, pl- um, bit of a subplot line that doesn't, doesn't go, well, it does go somewhere, but as we see here, we get, um, we get a guy named Dennis Nedry, played by uh, the always funny Wayne Knight, who at this point had been probably 
minor fame as um, Newman, or maybe worldwide fame, I don't know how popular Seinfeld is, but he was at this point just known as Newman from, uh, you know, Seinfeld. And basically what's happening here is you got this guy, Louis Dodson, showing up in this restaurant in, um, I think, Costa Rica, and um, Dennis Nedry's, you know, eating food. As we see, you know, he's kind of a big, you know, slot, you know, slob, gluttonous kind of guy and that kind of thing. And um, basically, as we're seeing here, you know, um, um, Nedry has been a bit, um, Dogson's essentially um, paying Nedry to get, you know, viable um, dinosaur embryos off of, you know, Isla Nublar, which is the, the island where, you know, Jurassic Park's taking place on. And, um, he gives him this, you know, the 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 world famous Barbasol can prop where you have like this contraption inside, where you have you can screw out the bottom and it has like this like refrigerated contraption where you can put like embryos in it and then kind of screw it back in and basically hide it as you know Barbasol can, and um, and so um, basically that kind of sets the storyline of you have this guy Dennis Nedry we don't really know what he does yet um, but basically he's getting paid by a rival of Hammond and, and by the owner of another company, um, because Hammond's the CEO and basically the owner of a company called InGen, which is like a genetic, like a bio, bio, a genetic bioengineering, you know, company and that kind of thing. And, um, and, um, oh, what was it? Oh, man, what was it? Um, I forgot what it was, but Engine bio, Bioengineering Company, Hammond's the owner of that, and, like, the CEO of that, you know, which is, like, the company that basically is in charge of, you know, cloning the dinosaurs. And then Dogson is in charge of another rival company that's essentially trying to do the same thing, but they're way behind, you know, Hammond, so basically Dogson's kind of going, you know, the cheap route and basically trying to steal, you know, the embryos from, from Hammond, so. Um, and then... um. And so we get that kind of, we kind of get that, you know, little subplot kind of threaded, you know. We don't really know where it's going to lead yet, but, you know, obviously it's going to lead to some pretty, you know, bad consequences later on here, so. And so now we are being introduced to uh, Isla Nublar, the island where, you know, they hold, where, uh, where, where, you know, the island where, you know, Jurassic Park, you know, is on and that kind of thing, so. And, um. It's kind of funny. We also got introduced to uh, Ian Malcolm, played by the uh, the great, the always funny Jeff Goldblum, the always memeable Jeff Goldblum, even nowadays, um, especially in his you know most funny phase, and from what I see. So, and you know, I, th- I love the first scene here. We always uh, um, we follow, we kind of fall in love with him immediately. Jeff Goldblum, um, I'd say this is like this film, and then probably uh, Independence Day that came out about three years later was actually the two films that really kind of solidified his, you know, popularity, because I think before this, his most famous film was the, it was a, like a horror kind of cult film called The Fly, I think it was The Fly, but it was essentially, it was that film where, like, you get that, like, scientist that essentially, like, does, like, those body swap, and he essentially accidentally body swaps himself with a fly, so, yep, the, the David Cronenberg's The Fly, and he essentially turns himself into a fly hybrid creature, and that was probably his most famous movie before this, and then obviously he became really famous with Jurassic Park and then, you know, Independence Day after that, so. And also one thing that we'll talk about as the movie goes on is the um, all often famous score of, you know, the often is the um, much famous score, talked about score of John Williams. Now, John Williams at this point had been doing, you know, obviously all kinds of, you know, collaborations with Spielberg. I mean, he was already world famous for his, 
you know, for the Jaws theme. He was already world famous for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, E.T. Um, you know, so he had done the Superman theme at this point as well, and you know, she probably a whole bunch of others that I don't even know about. That's just to name a few. Um, but I'll tell you what, I mean, he this film here with Jurassic Park, I mean, it's definitely something that you. It's a great kind of indicator. It's a great just kind of indicator of you know how John Hammond just he just keeps impressing you know I mean he literally at this point he's got like a twenty year catalog he's got a twenty year catalog of just you know amazing film scores and then he just keep and like a, a a resume that at this point in his career everybody would be super super you know impressed with and already you know kind of satisfied with but no John Hammond no, um, John Williams just keeps inventing keeps doing new scores that just keep you know dropping dropping our mouths so one thing I also want to so also one thing I want to say is the um um the they they're driving these Jurassic Park jeeps here these jeeps that are kind of painted as a uh, that are painted and they're like these got this red paint on it and then it's got like Jurassic Park painted on the side of it um, I just wanted to plug that because I'm a big jeep guy and I always love those I mean I I remember I saw like one of those like jeeps that were kind of painted like Jurassic Park and it was kind of weird to see it driving on the highway so. And so now we're getting the, the big, big reveal of when we finally see a, fir- a dinosaur. And, you know, um, it's I love the reaction where um, where Alan Grant essentially has to, like, you know, he, he takes, like, literally all his glasses and his hat off and he has to, like, see it for, for his own eyes to believe it. And then Sat- at, Dr. Sattler does the same thing and he, like, turns her head. So And then we get to see this giant um, Brachiosaurus that is just absolutely towering high and just, um, you know, eating, you know, obviously eating, you know, from the trees. So. so this is a great kind of point to talk about the CGI animation done with this movie. So, um, so this scene right here, you know, they, they basically, uh, they got the Brachiosaurus kind of in the background and they're essentially in the, and, you know, it's obviously CGI it in later. Um, when they were starting to make Jurassic Park, they actually weren't, you know, thinking of doing, you know, CGI animals, um, CGI, you know, dinosaurs. They were actually, they were actually, um, thinking more of doing, um, you know, um, at the time, you know, the the big thing was a, C was a stop motion, um, and was actually stop motion animation, and so they actually had hired on a, a pretty famous um, stop motion animator named Phil Tippett, who was actually going to be you know, the, the, the main dinosaur animator, but as they were going, and then they also were going to do, um, stuff with, um, they're also going to do, um, life-size animatronics that were going to be built by, uh, Stan Winston, so they had, like, these, and then they also had, um, another guy for CGI, and then they had the, um, another guy for, that worked for ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, um, named Dennis Mirren, so they had, um, Phil Tippett, Stan Winston, and Dennis Mirren that were all going to kind of collaborate with the dinosaur effects, and, um, Phil Tippett was going to be the head of the stop-motion dinosaur effects, which they thought was going to be the majority of the film. But when they were looking at the, but when they were looking at it in the pre-production phase, and as they were kind of starting up production, um, Spielberg just wasn't that impressed with the with the stop-motion animation. They had been able to, they had been able to do a, a um, ha, um, do the stop-motion animation with a motion blur, which made it look a lot more realistic than you know, not stop-motion animation. But um, what ended up but so what ended up happening was that Dennis Mirren for um Industrial Light and Magic was like, hey, we can 
I think we can do this film with CGI dinosaurs. So what they decided to do, so what Spielberg was, is like, hey, you know, go out and show me that you can do this. So what they did was they had a, they built a scene in which they had um, skeletons of Gallimimus, um, like running in like herds, like, you know, running in a big field, kind of like in the scene that we'll see kind of later on in the film here. And then we had another, and then they had like, a, then they had another scene where they finally, and they built the, then they built, you know, the real Gallimimus, you know, with all the skin and all that kind of stuff, not just the skeletons. And then, um, and then they, and then they kind of wanted to go big scale. They built a, you know, a, um, they built the skeleton of a T-Rex, saw, had a walking cycle of the, of the skeleton of the T-Rex walking, and then they finally built themselves, you know, an actual, the actual T-Rex, you know, in which, you know, the T, and they actually, they built the actual T-Rex, um, and then they had to show him show them walking. So what what ended up happening was is they showed him that, and then Phil Tippett saw that, and he basically looked at Spielberg and was like, "Well, I'm out of a job." And then somebody's like, "Well, don't you be an extinct?" And they actually they liked that scene so much that they actually put it into the film here. We just saw it. So, um, and when they released this film, you know, with the with the CGI looking dinosaurs. You know, it looked, um, it was a, I mean, it was a groundbreaking. I mean, this is a film, I mean, this is one of those films in the early 90s where people kind of point to as the, as a landmark kind of moment in um, CGI, uh, you know, anime, CGI um, animation, so. And um, so what they decided, and, um, but, you know, and if you look at them now, if you look at the film now, you know, with the with the CGI dinosaurs, you can tell it looks a little dated, but and that's only if you're really watching the Blu-ray version. I mean, I'm still I'm watching the DVD version here. Um, I'm watch, I mean I'm watching the DVD version here, and the CGI still looks really good, actually, from what I see. Of course, I mean when you see the the better when you see and uh, you see it in Blu-ray, you do get a little bit more of datedness with it. But I feel like that's like every film from the '90s. You know, no matter how good it is, and even when it looks dated, it still looks. You know, some of the scenes still look pretty good. So, and so now we're getting kind of the big, the scene in which everybody kind of considers the big exposition dump of you know basically putting a lot of Michael Crichton's exposition of the explanation of the science and how the dinosaurs are able to be cloned, basically in this one little scene right here. And basically, they have this real, this nice little cute animation with this guy named Mr. DNA. And he's essentially, um, he's basically telling us the story about how they have these mosquitoes, and now we're getting the, the importance of the mosquitoes trapped in amber. And and um, they're telling, basically saying that mosquitoes suck on the blood of dinosaurs. And then they get kind of stuck to a tree, and they get stuck in the tree sap, and the sap kind of hardens, fossilized, and then becomes what they call amber. And then what they do is they basically kind of dig into the um, they dig to the they dig in the amber to the mosquito, and then they essentially extract the blood, and then that's basically how they're able to um, clone the dinosaur, um, that kind of thing. And then another thing that they state is um, and then another thing that they say is that um, there's actually a um, that they actually have like holes in the DNA sequence that they need to fill with what they call frog blood. No f frog DNA. So they do this frog DNA. They basically mix, you know, the dinosaur, the, the the blood cells from the dinosaur and the and the mosquitoes, and then they essentially um, mix the you know DNA from a frog in to the into those um, DNA, and it essentially creates you know the dinosaur. So it basically, 
you know, this is kind of where the film can takes its a, a bit of its kind of you know scientific liberties because this is where they can say, well, these aren't real dinosaurs. These are you know dino. This is blood of dinosaur, mostly blood of dinosaurs with a little bit of frog DNA. So they're essentially you know frogs and dinosaurs kind of mixed together, and that's one of the things that a, about the Jurassic Park films that you know some people as they've gone on. They've kind of, you know, a lot of people have kind of soured, especially the new Jurassic World movies that have come out. A lot of people have been saying that they're not, you know, as scientifically, um, you know, realistic as, you know, they as they should be. And, you know, a lot of people kind of point to this as, a lot of people kind of point to this as, like, the main, you know, reason as, you know, why these dinosaurs are not, you know, as realistic. Now, the dinosaurs, now, at the time when they made this movie, you know, I remember 1993, it's been about, you know, almost 30 years, this is like 27, 28 years of, you know, scientific, you know, research and discovery regarding dinosaurs. Um, and then, um, essentially what ends up happening is, is that, um, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, the DVD was kind of messing up here. So what? Oh, what was I trying to say? So, at the, so in the thirty years, almost thirty years of uh, scientific research, and then you know, at the time, I mean, this was about as about as realistic as a depiction of dinosaurs on screen that you know they had ever had, um, and they're using the, you know the best research they had at the time. But you know, nowadays, you know, it's well, it's a lot of paleontologists, you know, think that you know dinosaurs, especially velociraptors, that actually have you know feathers, you know would actually have feathers, you know, because, you know, in this movie, you know, they're depicted mostly as, you know, reptilian-looking creatures with, you know, some bird-like qualities, but, you know, the velo- but now they've discovered that, you know, velociraptors more than likely had, um, you know, feathers back in those days, especially some of the the um, base, the, the type of dinosaurs that velociraptors were. The, the velociraptors fall into a, a certain type of family of dinosaurs that they had a certain name that I could not pronounce, and I, I honestly didn't really want to try to pronounce it, but they were really... Um, different looking um interesting uh mame there so as we'll learn here the the velociraptors that we see they're the raptors that we see in this movie are actually not technically velociraptors they're actually another type of dinosaurs but we'll kind of get to that as we get later into the movie and then we got this scene here in which uh the <laughs> another great scene in which we get the we essentially see one of those, you know, velociraptors, you know, get hatched from their egg, and you know, Hammond, Hammond, um, Hammond, Sattler, and you know, Alan Grant are all around and basically watching him, you know, get you know, come out of this egg. So, and uh, you know, Hammond is essentially Hammond. I love Hammond's line here. He says that you know he's, that he, you know, Hammond says that you know, like, hey, you know, how um, I, I've been here forever, you know, um. I've been here for the birth of every animal on this island, and um, one of the funny lines from Dr. Malcolm, um, from Jeff Goldblum's character, is that you know he essentially says, you know, how do you not, how do you know that you know you, how do you know that you're not there for, how do you know that you're there for all the you know, birth of all the creatures on the island, and um, Dr. Henry Wu, played by B.D. Wong, who actually reprises his role in Jurassic World and Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, they um, um. They essentially basically say that, you know, hey, dinosaur, the dinosaurs are, um, you know, all female on Jurassic Park. Every single every single animal bred on Jurassic Park is a female. And then, uh, you know, 
obviously, you know, Ian Malcolm here, he's kind of the, it's always funny, you know, it's, the, it's, you kind of see in the film here, um, visually and kind of spiritually, Ian Malcolm is definitely the antithesis to, you know, um, you know, John Hammond, because, you know, Malcolm here is, you know, really, you know, kind of questioning the science, the science of it all, and he's really questioning, you know, should we be doing this, and we kind of see later in the film, we kind of see in the scene later here, he's actually got a, um, he's got a nice little, you know, scene, nice little quote, you know, you know, where you said, you know, you, you didn't stop to ask you if you should, you know, do this, and um, that's actually one of the, and also I wanted to say the visual, you know, the visual discrepancy, you know, um, Ian Malcolm's wearing all black and Hammond's wearing all white. Um, that was actually one of the things that Michael Crichton was kind of doing with his book there. I mean, it, you kind of hear Michael Crichton's, like, you know, criticism of um, of the genetics, you know, kind of race, as I'll speak, he, um, in this book. You know, he kind of thought that, you know, like, science was getting a little bit too good or too big for its britches, you know. And that was kind of what he was telling with this movie that, you know, you know, breeding dinosaurs, is that really something that we need to do or that we should do? And, you know, it was kind of that was kind of his criticism of um, some of the, you know, um, genetic evolution that we were that we were discovering, you know, in science, you know, at the time. Um, of course, I actually just realized that um, you kind of hear that with, um, you know, obviously um, with um, Ian Malcolm's character. Not only I think in this in the movie, but also in the book too. I think they're very similar characters. I think basically throughout in the book and in the in the movie here, um, Ian Malcolm. So, and now we get um, the famous the um, not uh, the the scene in which the the raptors get fed a uh, basically a giant cow, and we're at we get our first look at the uh, our second look at the raptors pen, and. Um, And um, obviously, we're looking. We, we don't see the raptors. I mean, we we it's one of those. It's kind of like that funny Jaws effect in which we actually kind of just we don't see it, but we kind of like get. Um, we kind of like you know we get that it, we get the intention that it's there. Um, but it's obviously one of those things that we just don't see it. So, um, which you know Spielberg's obviously good at you know with his you know well obviously with Jaws and that kind of thing. And um, oh, what was I trying to say here? I, I honestly, I just I keep forgetting my train of thought here. You know, I got so many things I want to say. Oh no, I, I did I, I did remember what I wanted to say. So um, I always love they had they always had the behind the scenes um um footage of them shooting the scene actually. And it was what what was funny was is that Spielberg him they didn't have they actually looped the dinosaur sounds after in you know in post production, which they do with a lot of the with the with the you know the sound design and. While they were actually filming the scene here, they actually had Spielberg himself like doing like different dinosaur, like um, like different dinosaur like you know noises and all that like like you know like doing it into like this like bullhorn and that kind of thing, and um, and I, I remember um, reading something that Sam Neill said that he was um the main acting while shooting the scene was that they actually had to uh they had to act like as if they were not you know laughing because they just were. And they were laughing. They were trying not to laugh at Spielberg's, you know, ridiculous noises. So, and then, unfortunately, the um, the the dinosaur has the no the the the, the cow has not uh, been, uh, the cow did not make it. He got fed to the uh, he got fed to the to the raptors. So, 
And so now we get this um, kind of dinner scene, which is also kind of, um, as I kind of said earlier, that uh, criticism of, you know, science and um, and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of where, like, you know, we kind of hear it in this film here. This film, uh, the film, I think the book, I, and I haven't read the book Jurassic Park, but I think it was kind of designed as, um, as Michael Crichton's kind of, you know, criticism of... Um, you know, of you know science like evolution and that kind of thing. Let me see, look up some stuff of Michael Crichton here. But it also does ask some like you know some good questions here. You know, I think with especially what Ian Malcolm is, you know, like, and you know what Sam Neill and um, Dr. Grant and you know Dr. Sattler, they're always like, uh, they're basically like you know dinosaurs, you know, and man have been, dinosaurs have been extinct for, you know, so long, and, you know, man, they've never even cohabitated together. You know, how do we, you know, even, I mean, how do we even, um, you know, know how they're going to, you know, act, and that's kind of like the idea that, you know, Dr. Grant will take, you know, and Ian Malcolm, what he's kind of talking about here is, you know, you have this, you have this power, you know, this genetic, you know, this power of genetic, you know, engineering, Oh, sorry, I love this scene here where he's, he basically says, you have this, like, you have all this, you have the greatest power in the world, genetic engineering, and you're basically wielded like, you know, like a kid, you know, wielding his dad's gun. And I love this scene here, you know, Grant's, and um, Malcolm here is essentially saying, like, you know, you didn't get the knowledge for yourself, you didn't do this for yourself, um, and before you knew what you even had, you, you patented it, you packaged it, you slapped it on a plastic plastic lunchbox and then you and you're selling it you're selling it and you're selling it so so I mean a, a lot of different a lot of different you know kind of you know um criticisms that you know uh you know Malcolm's kind of going on like I can see a little bit of consumerism you know the the capitalism you know kind of you know um kind of criticisms of you know John Hammond but I think you get the main thing that you know he's got like this the genetic power the genetic power that he wields and, you know, Grant and, um, you know, and, you know, Malcolm thinks that, you know, hey, you're going, you're taking this a little bit too far, you know, and I think it's kind of those, it's kind of that question in science where it's like, you know, how high do you kind of fly to the sun, you know, if you're Icarus and you're trying to do that kind of thing? I mean, how high do we really go in science? I mean, and that's not a question that I'm asking. I think that's a question that maybe, you know, the, the movie, that maybe the, the whole idea of Jurassic Park kind of poses, you know, how far do we really take science and all that kind of stuff, so... And again, you know, some people might have different opinions on that, and um, all that, all that kind of stuff. I feel like I've been babbling. I apologize if I've been babbling, but I feel like I mean, it's been a bit of an interesting discussion. You know, it's um, the ethics and moralities of you know science, and whether or not too much science is a, a bad or good thing. And that's kind of what I'm getting from some of these you know conversations, basically to put up you know to wrap my you know thoughts up in a nice clean bubble here. So. I always love the scene here. He's got, like, you got the the only people that are to... Because he had this whole, like, you know, lunch scene where, like, everybody's, like, kind of really skeptical of the whole park idea. And Hammond says that, you know, the only person that's really defending me is the quote-unquote blood-sucking lawyer. So I always love that scene, so... And so we get the um, introduction of John Hammond's um, grandkids now. We get, um, what was it, Tim Mazzello... 
something. No, no, not Tim Mazzella. Tim's the kid. It's um, I think Tim and Lex are the the kids' names in the book and in, in the movie here. I know the Joseph. No, Joseph Mazzello, not Tim Mazzello. It was Joe Mazzello and um, I think Ariana Richards, who the 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 the, the child actors that play um, Tim and Lex in the movie here. So was actually another kind of difference from the book and the movie here was that Tim and Lex are actually, um, their actually ages are actually swapped for the movie. In the book, they actually showcase that Tim and, that Tim's the old brother and that Lex is the younger sister. And that, um, and that, you know, Tim's kind of the more, you know, computer nerdy kind of, of the, kind of computer nerd of the, of the, of the two. But in the book here, they in the movie here, they actually kind of swapped the ages. They made Tim the young one, and then Lex the older one, and then Lex is the one that's um kind of the computer geek, and then Tim's kind of the guy that's the that's the um the dinosaur um kind of expert, the dinosaur kind of aficionado. And I love how um Tim wants to sit with Grant in the in the car ride, and um you know obviously we know that before Grant's not really much privy to kids, and you know I love this little scene here in which, you know, Grant's basically gets rid of Tim, puts him in a different, you know, ve- basically moves him to the different vehicle, so. And I think actually, I think in this scene here, I think Tim actually name drops, uh, name drops, uh, he actually, I think he name drops uh, uh, one of the scientists, uh, um, Horner, the guy that actually um was, um, the again the sci- the paleontologist that was uh for the um. Oh geez, what was it? Um, paleontologist that was a technical advisor for this film. So. And so. Oh, excuse me. So. All right, about forty minutes in here. Beautiful. So we are. So now they're they're having this um they're having this um big tour here essentially in which uh they have these uh I think what they're like the Ford Explorers on like this track and they're essentially going to take a tour of the park which essentially as they said is the main like you know tour of you know of that the main the main tour of the park that's you know going to be um you know for that's going to be available to you know the public when they open the park for the public so And we also got in our introduction to uh, Samuel L. Jackson playing uh, um, Ray Arnold. Um, I think his name in the book was actually John Arnold, but they actually renamed him as Ray Arnold. I think to as to keep a uh, um, confusion between John Arnold and um, John Hammond and you know John Arnold that kind of thing. So, and I would say this film, along with Pulp Fiction, which was released a year after this film, was I think the two films that really propelled Samuel L. Jackson kind of into that, you know, the superstardom that we know him, uh, that we know him nowadays, because, you know, bef- back in, you know, 93, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson, you know, wasn't that well known of an actor, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I think Pulp Fiction, it was really this film and Pulp Fiction that really, I think, kind of pushed him into that stardom that, you know, we, um, um, Oh shoot! What was it? Yeah, it's just these two films. I always keep losing my train of thought. I apologize. Oh, I love this scene here because it's actually I love this scene because it's it's funny in the way that it actually kind of satirizes the 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 uh, an experience at like the zoo because you have like this attraction. So they basically go with their first dinosaur, the Dilophosaurus, and 
as we and they try to look out, you know, into the they try to look out into the pen to see where the Dilophosaurus is at, and um, well, obviously they can't see it. And you can, you, I love the like the transition on their faces from like, oh my gosh, we're gonna see a dinosaur to like they just go to just and to just disappointment. And I love the final scene here in which Grant's like he's like you know slaps the car and he's like, damn. And so it, now we get another kind of, and I love here we get the we get a bit of an introduction to uh, Nedry's a uh, bit of Nedry's problem with uh, um, Nedry's kind of problem with Hammond. So basically, as we learn, Dennis Nedry is essentially a computer programmer that essentially is a, basically in, um, he's essentially um. He's essentially um, a, a computer programmer that's essentially in charge of, you know, basically um, debugging the, the, the park program. And he's essentially um, in charge of making sure that all the computer programs are, you know, um, are, you know, working properly and that kind of thing. And as we learn, at least from what we learn from Nedry's portion, is that uh, um, Nedry is, um, he doesn't feel like he's appreciated or, you know, getting, you know, the money that he deserves, you know, from the film from what he's working, and I was like, hey, I'm doing, I'm networking eight connections machines, debugging two million lines of code for what I bid for this job, blah, 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 and I just, and I um, always love that, um, and so he basically, that's, and that's kind of why, going back to that scene earlier with Dogson, um, in which Nedry basically takes the money from Dogson and takes that Barbasol can to steal the embryos, that's why he wants to take all that money from Dogson, because he feels like, you know, he feels like he's doing a really, you know, important job, you know, and he's not getting paid hardly any money for it at all, so. And it was also a nice little, and it was also a really interesting, um, bit of an interesting trivia piece there, um, that when they showed, uh, they, they showed the scene of Nedry at his computer, which was all, which was also, um, you know, typical office space, it was a really, you know, dirty, messy computer space, um, they actually showcased they had the movie Jaws playing in one of the computer screens there, which I did not know until I had read the trivia for this film. So, which is which again is funny because Spielberg directed both this film and Jaws. So, <laughs> I always love this like little. I always love this scene here. You know, uh, you know, what was it like? Malcolm was like, you know, God creates dinosaurs, God destroys dinosaurs, God creates man, this, this, that, and that, and that. Um, all that kind of stuff, so. Bit of a funny little scene here, and then we get the goat here. For context, we're at the, um, we're at the, um, we're at the um, Tyrannosaurus paddock, and they have that goat, that, and they kind of put this goat out in front there, and essentially what they're trying to do is, you know, persuade that Tyrannosaurus to come out and essentially eat the goat, so. And then, uh, Lex, and then Lex says that, you know, she's a, you know, a vegetarian, so she's kind of mortified by that whole idea of him eating, of the T-Rex eating the goat, so. And again, we are still waiting to see any real dinosaur action here. That's the thing that I read about this f film is that 
out of all of the dinosaur like actual action that goes on in this film here, um, there's only I think like 15 actual minutes of like dinosaurs like on screen. I mean, you get a lot of you know obviously scenes with the, you know the humans here. So <laughs> I love this 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 movie is like I love how this movie like it's like inadvertently becomes a comedy at some points because like you get Malcolm that essentially is talking into the camera. He's like, I thought there was going to be dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour and Hammond sitting in the control room and he's like, I really hate that man. And so now we get another funny scene here with uh, Dr. Malcolm and um, Dr. Sattler, a funny kind of subplot of the film, of the early, at least of the early part of the film here was uh, Dr. Malcolm was was trying to, you know, is trying to hit on Dr. Sattler, and it's kind of funny, uh, Dr., um, what they don't know is that, uh, you know, Alan Grant is, you know, you know, they're actually together in this film, and, you know, Grant's just completely oblivious to the whole thing, you know, you can even see it here, he's not even paying attention to them. Oh, and then we see that there's uh, something going out, um, out in the field there, and which kind of catches Grant's eyes, and and then they kind of had um, this whole, this is kind of this whole thing with a, uh, this whole thing like with like water droplets and uh, um, like out and um, and um, Ian Malcolm here, that kind of thing. So, and he's like basically describing his whole idea of you know chaos theory and essentially like caressing Doctor Sattler's hand. So, of course, I will say uh, you know Jeff Goldblum is a pretty um you know pretty good looking guy. So I mean. I would I wouldn't blame Dr. Sattler for being smitten with him, so <laughs> I love this scene here. He's essentially like, you know I'd probably say my funny my favorite parts of this movie where you get like these like monologues with Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum essentially like, you know, talking to himself in the car and that kind of thing. He's like, you know, who could have known that both these guys would have gotten out of the car? That that's that's chaos theory. My gosh. And then we get uh, Nedry here basically looking very suspicious-like. All that good stuff. And then just off to the side on his desk, he's got the Barbasol can. Could ima- it's, I, I, I could imagine how this movie had like a same, the same effect on Barbasol shaving cream as E.T. had on uh, Reese's Pieces. You know, they used... You know, Barbasol is a very famous, uh, very famous, you know, prop used in this film. It's, I'd say probably one of the most famous props used in the in Jurassic Park, maybe other than the Jeeps itself. Um, and um, and you know, the Barbasol can. You always get these scenes in which the um, and then you get the, the those scenes with the Barbasol can. And I'm pretty sure you know, sales of Barbasol shaving cream just absolutely just went through the roof after this. So. And so now we're discovering what was out in the uh, what was out in the fields here, and what we get we get a ourselves a six a a a sick a sick triceratops. That's the way we could say it. And then yet another instance of kind of amazement in this scene here. 
And uh, this tricer and the uh, triceratops that they're using, I think this is the first big scene of real dinosaurs of, of a real dinosaur of a big real dinosaur. I mean, this this triceratops is you know a real puppet that's you know filmed in camera there. Um, and it's a really really realistic looking um you know puppet. That was one of the things um Stan Winston um. The, the the guy that made all the you know basically all the dinosaur life size animatronics for this film I mean he did a great job I mean it was it was funny originally they wanted the they originally were wanting um of course Spielberg his he was wanting you know in his idealistic mind was to do um all the dinosaurs full all the dinosaurs like full scale like filmed in camera which of course we knew would be realistically impossible to do or, you know, just way too expensive to do. Um, and what they, they actually were thinking of hiring a guy from that actually designed the King Kong, um, the King, the giant, the life-size King Kong puppet on the Universal Studios ride, um, guy by the name of Bob Gurr. And, um, but that kind of fell through and they decided, hey, we need to, like, we're going to mix the, we're going to mix the whole, um, we're gonna mix in, you know, effects. We're gonna mix in the effects and the um, mix, you know, practical, you know, in camera effects, you know, with at first what they were gonna do stop motion effects, but then they went to you know the CGI effects. So, <laughs> love this scene. Sattler, uh, Ellie says that, you know, we need to see uh, the dino droppings, and I remember Malcolm's like, uh, dino droppings? So... Um... So what was it here? Um, you got the uh, basically what they're saying is they got this um, um, hurricane that's kind of approaching the island, and essentially um, what's going to happen is that there's going to be a um, they basically are they basically announced that you know the shuttle that's leaving the island is actually leaving in five minutes. So basically what they're kind of setting up is that there's going to be a hurricane on the island, and then not only that, there's also going to be nobody else on the island except for a few other people here, so. What's actually really interesting is the, they have a, they have a, um, a, a, a doctor, um, kind of with them. You kind of see this guy with, um, he's got like a Jurassic Park hat and sunglasses on. I believe his name is Dr. Jerry Harden, Harding. And, um, the thing that was, uh, and what was it? And what, gosh, what was it? Um, the thing that's interesting is that um, I believe he is the um, he is the um, father of Sarah Harding, who will be one of the main characters in the next film, um, who also kind of takes a an interest in you know like paleontology and you know studying you know um, you know animal and uh, studying kind of you know extinct animals and all that kind of stuff. So. And so. Basically, we're kind of starting to all split up. Alan, um, Sattler's kind of staying with the six Triceratops, and um, and now we get the 
we get the scenes of the of the hurricane hitting the island. What actually happened when they were they were they filmed a lot of these scenes and um, they filmed a lot of Jurassic Park in Kauai and um, in Kauai on the islands on the Hawaiian islands. And while they were filming there, there actually was a real devastating hurricane that took place while they were filming, and it actually. Um, I don't think I don't know how many I don't know if it like actually like you know delayed production that much or like bur- broke down many. Se- I think it did. It actually did you know tear down many. It actually tore down a couple sets. And I think you, we just saw a scene in which we actually saw a shot of the actual of the actual hurricane that was incorporated into the actual you know Jurassic Park movie. And I think one of the funny stories was that Richard Attenborough, um, you know John Hammond's actor, he actually basically stated that he actually essentially slept through the entire hurricane. Um, and he, uh, and uh, apparently they had, like, all the actors and actresses, like, basically all the actors, actresses, and crew members in the, uh, in the, um, what was it, uh, of the, of the film, they had to literally, like, kind of bunker down into, like, this, uh, convention center in a hotel, in their hotel room, you know, they had to basically, and all like, kind of hunker down there, and it had to, like, um, the hur- the hurricane. Co- I don't know the name of the hurricane, but from what I remember, it says it was a pretty substantial hurricane. It caused quite a bit of damage. So, and so now what we are doing here is, uh, um, Nedry is kind of putting his, um, you know, plan into attack. His plan into attack, and we don't really know what's going on with that plan yet. Um. And you know, basically, he's he essentially like set up this computer program where something's going to happen. And what we're going to see here is that he actually is using the program to shut down the security systems of the of the uh, of the uh, of the park and all, all that kind of stuff. But what ends up happening is that I think, and I don't know if it's if it's an intentional bug in the program or if he actually. Uh, I don't know if it's an intentional bug or anything like that, but what ends up happening was is that like all the major systems of the park start shutting down. Like the 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 tour, the cars that are on the tour, like on the track there, they they shut down. We see here the security the security camera shut down. And then they say that the door security systems are shutting down, and then like all these doors are like starting to like unlock and. It's because Nedry's, you know, going into the, uh, the cryo, basically like this area with the cry with um. I don't I don't know what these exactly called. They're I think they're like the cryo tanks where they literally like hold all of the of the dinosaur embryos and Nedry's gonna you know take out the the Barbasol can and um you know steal all the dinosaur embryos. And I love how we get like really um. We get very, very ominous music when we see the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the Velociraptor names. And he makes sure to steal, um, tries to make sure he steals all the embryos. I'll tell you what, it, it's, I've always, I've all, part of me has always kind of looked at, um, always trying to, maybe trying to, like, get a prop of, like, the dinosaur embryos in the Barbasol can. And there actually are people that, like, remake that, like, kind of contraption that they put the embryos in and the whole Barbasol, um, all the Barbasol stuff, so, um, so, and, yeah, that stuff is, that's the, the prop, 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 prop business, and prop, mo- movie prop business is a very good business, so, it's something that, you know, you movie buffs are interested in, so. Now, the, ve- now, the, uh, vehicles have stopped, that, um, the vehicles, they were on that track there, and, um, um, and now what they are now noticing is that all the fences in the park are, 
And now what they're saying is that all the fences in the park are failing, and that's when stuff really starts to kind of really start to worry people because, you know, if you get the fences failing in the park, then, you know, you know, stuff's really starting to go down. And, and Nedry here himself, he's going – he's got the one of the Jurassic Park Jeeps, and he's essentially uh, trying to, you know, get himself uh, – you know, get himself down to the dock so he can get the dinosaur embryos down there quick enough, so – I love this scene here where, like, Samuel L. Jackson's character goes down to Nedry's desk and he essentially just pushes the entire... There's a there's a whole bunch of papers on there and he just pushes them all off. And also... And then here um, you get... Um, what was it? Robert Muldoon, the, the 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 main gamekeeper, the the lead gamekeeper of Jurassic Park, and he's really worried... He sees all the fences going down. He's really worried that all of the... Uh, he's really worried that... Um, all of that the velociraptor cages are going to be shut down and that the velociraptors are going to be able to you know you know you know cut loose because you know he even tells even one of the things that he said earlier in the film was that uh, the velociraptors actually test the electrical fences and they actually test them in like different spots so they're actually you know the velociraptors themselves are not just you know dumb animals they're really trying to you know escape from the uh you know, they're trying to escape, and unfortunately, when the fences fail, you know, Muldoon knows that's not a good that's not a good thing to know. So, and I love this scene here. Arnold's trying to like access main program grid, access this, access this, and then Nedry's computer system essentially says, "You didn't say the magic word," and then, and everybody says this is the beginning of the GIF. And it was like, ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. And then not only that, we also find that the uh, the phone lines are out as well. So there, something really bad is happening on Jurassic Park. And then the funny, and then the 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 line that, and then you get the line that kind of sets up the next little scene here. Um, Doctor um, John Hammond asks, "Where did the the tour vehicle stopped?" And um, they just so happened to stop right in front of the. Uh, of the Tyrannosaurus uh, Rex paddock, so they've stopped in the greatest spot that they possibly could. So, <laughs> I love Malcolm here. He's like kind of fright. He's kind of like a little scared of the whole situation. He's like, like I didn't say I, like like Grant's like I didn't say you were scared. <laughs> No, a bit of nostalgia here. You get those uh those night vision goggles that they uh brought out in uh that they brought back in Jurassic World that those uh two little kids that those two kids were using. So and you see Tim here, he's using um got these night vision goggles on and he's essentially like looking out and looking out. I wonder if those goggles actually even worked, so So now we're about to get ourselves uh set up for the big T-Rex reveal. And it's actually going to be set up by something at the time, um, by something that has now been closely, that is always now um, associated with uh, with a T-Rex approaching, which is obviously the um, ripples in the water that they're showing with the, um, with, the, with, the, with the water cups in the car there. And so Tim kind of takes a look here, and he sees that there's these ripples in the car and you kind of hear like this low bass sounding boom kind of in the distance 
So something big's happening is basically what's going on here. And um, what and this actually was kind of an interesting backstory about this whole um I, this whole effect and this whole thing. Um, what it, what it was happening was is that um Steven Spielberg kind of was watching this um he was he was um kind of driving his car and I think he was listening to a film he was listening to Earth Wind and Fire this I I think that's a song I'm not sure he was listening to Earth Wind and Fire and while he was looking at himself in the um in the rearview mirror he actually saw his reflection kind of um kind of his reflection kind of you know kind of go do 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 like as like like the and he kind of saw the the water because I think it was raining he kind of saw the water kind of dissipate and the 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 base he kind of saw the base of the water kind of do 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 and um he got the idea that you know hey when ever um the tyrannosaurus rex is approaching why don't we have these cups of water that have these like you know that when he steps it has a lot it has a loud bass sound that you know causes the water in the cups to ripple and the guy that designed that the guy that designed that effect was a guy named Michael Lantieri and he actually um he had a tough time um actually doing this effect what he ended up doing was he actually fed car he actually fed guitar strings from literally right under the fed the guitar strings from right under the um the, the water cups fed the guitar strings from there to the bottom to the ground and then he had some guy that was literally under under the car plucking the guitar strings so it was kind of an kind of a bit of movie magic there to get those um water ripples in the cup there and now the the fences are fail now the fences are failing and the T-Rex is going to bust loose of his um of his cage here so And yet another great scene of a CGI anim- uh, of a CGI t- uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, and this is the one I'd say the one scene here where I'm like, that's a great you know CGI scene right there because you get some, um, you know, again as I was saying earlier, you get some people that say that you know the movie's a little dated. From what I see, I mean that looks like a, that's a pretty realistic looking um, depiction of a T Rex from what I see. So on that CGI, of course, also the lighting also helps as well. It's a bit darker, so. And then we get a, I don't know what Lex was thinking here. Lex, Lex uh, gets a giant searchlight out, and essentially, um, and she's essentially um, shines shines it at the T Rex, and um, and now the T Rex is um, basically right, kind of checking out the car, the um, the the car that Lex and Tim are at, and uh, Donald Gennaro, the uh, the the lawyer, kind of abandoned them, so bit of a bit of a dick ass so then you got this famous shot right here where the T-Rex's eyes go right into the um the, the T-Rex's eyes go right into the light and the you can see the pupils dilate so and what's um interesting here is that um this is another a lot of these scenes here are um a lot of mixes between uh, Stan Winston's um you know uh, he had a, a real life uh, animatronic you know T-Rex that they were making and then also they had a couple of those shots there in which they were, uh, and then a couple of the shots that I saw that you saw that were um, the actual uh, um, that were um, the you know the CGI T Rex. Um, and then um, as you see the uh, what was it um, and what was and they said it was actually a really a, a realistic looking you know 
like animatronic that they that Stan Winston had made because they said that it could actually like turn its head on a dime and stop instantly and it, you know it could do all the it could do all these it could do all these sorts of things um the one thing that was um the one thing that was kind of tough during production while while the while dealing with the T-Rex is that this entire scene takes place during the rain. So while they were filming the T-Rex um, animatronic, they had to, you know, make sure all these hoses were, you know, sprinkling rain down and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you got to remember, it's an animatronic. It's a robot, you know, and robotics and, you know, rain don't, robotics and water don't really mix very well. So what they, um, what they ended up, um, what ended up happening was that there'd be times where the robot would literally, um, malfunction and kind of seize up and you would actually see like behind the scenes footage of the of the robot of the t-rex animatronic kind of malfunction you can kind of see it it gets like these like little shake it kind of gets like it gets like these like shakes in and that kind of thing and um um so they had to like constantly like you know um shut down production and um they had to constantly shut down production and like kind of like wipe the t-rex off to in order to dry it off so and now Ian's getting chased by the T-Rex straight into the bathroom. And uh, thankfully, Malcolm uh, survives. But unfortunately, th- what happens is that uh, Gennaro um, is wide o- is uh, left wide open in the left wide open, and the T-Rex uh, takes a giant chomp out of him and uh, decides to eat him. And then. Uh, and then now Grant's trying to get Grant, um, Grant and Ellie out. Uh, Grant and Lex out. I can't, I can't mix that name up. Trying to get um, no Tim and Lex out of the of the overturned vehicle because the T Rex overturned the the Ford Explorer that they were in. And now the T Rex has come back to check them check them out. So now I don't know. I've read some kind of um, conflicting reports. Um, you know, Grant here says that the um, Grant here states that um, the vision of a T-Rex is based on movement. So basically, it's that whole kind of thing from a, you know, it's that whole thing from a um, Jurassic Park where basically if you don't move, the T-Rex isn't going to be able to see you. Um, so, what was I? And, oh man, I, I, I keep losing my mind. Shoot, um. I also also get distracted by the movie too because I love I love watching the scene. But um, but anyway, so the T Rex, um, from what I've read, I don't think the T Rex actually does have um, you know, sight like vision based on movement. I think some of that's been a little debunked. Um, but also I I also can't confirm Norden. I also can't confirm that as well. So. And now the T Rex is um, pushing the pushing the car off the ledge, which is a bit of a movie kind of, um, a bit of a it's something that some people have always kind of looked at as a bit of a movie, uh, um, inaccuracy is the um, is that the T Rex the paddock was shown to be at first ground level, and then once um, Doctor Grant and Tim no Doctor Grant and Lex kind of climb over the over the they kind of they kind of climb over the over into the T-Rex paddock. They show there's this giant drop off and people have always wondered like what's the there's a bit of a movie mistake there because you know how can the T-Rex like walk out of the paddock which is like literally like way like which is a giant drop off so so I don't know it's a bit of a 
there's a lot of bit of instances with a movie ma- with a movie and a- um, movie mistakes in this film. So. And so now, now and now, basically, they've kind of realized the severity. They got the people in the control room, kind of after the scene took place, and they have a uh, Hammond and Arnold and Muldoon. They basically realize, you know, what the what's uh, going on. They they need a uh, is that they need uh, they need Nedry back because he's really the only guy that can get them um, get the park back online. So. And now they're showing Nedry here. He's a uh, taking one of the, he's taking the jeep here, and he's a uh, trying to um, and taking he's taking Nedry and Nedry's taking the jeep. He's trying to get to the docks here so we can get those uh, dinosaur embryos out there. From what I read, this uh, scene here with Nedry um, kind of falling down the. Uh, um, He's, there's like a bit of a waterfall there, and Nedry's like falling down. He's like rolling all over it, and um, he's really struggling and all that kind of stuff. So, and he's trying to like hook the jeep up to like um, trying to hook the jeep up to like one of the trees down there. But what we'll find out is that Nedry is uh, not really alone. There was a Dilophosaurus um, there with him. And from what I remember reading, um. Apparently, a uh, Wayne Knight when he was um when he uh, was filming the scene, he apparently had a was really miserable because you got to remember the scene again is taking place in the rain, but also there's a shot where Nedry fell down um like a like a waterfall kind of spigot that kind of thing, and um what they said was and um, apparently what they said while making the film was that there was a. What they said, like while filming that, like while you know, with all those um, God, what was it um, that like little waterfall kind of thing that Nedry kind of fell down. They had to keep like pouring more and more and more and more water on, and Wayne Knight just said that it was just a. He had to say that it was a it was a bit of a you know a bit of a pain in the ass to you know film that scene so. I love this scene here. Nedry, you know, he kind of treats, he's treating the Dilophosaurus like an idiot. He's like saying, stick stupid, and I love how the Dilophosaurus, he says that, you know, the Dilophosaurus basically says that. (laughs) I love that, he says that, you know, he says to the Dilophosaurus that, hey, I have no food on me, I have nothing on me, and then of course, you know, what he doesn't realize that Dilophosaurus is a carnivore. And um, and now they show that the Dilophosaurus. Um, they show him spraying uh, venom on Nedry, which is, which they actually state that um, they, some people say that that's actually not what a. No, they they say that a Dilophosaurus actually wouldn't really do that nowadays. They actually, it's one of those instances in the film in which uh, you know the science, um of the day has been kind of corrected by, you know, you know, by time, because back in those days, 
you know, that's how they thought that Dilophosaurus would actually, you know, kill its prey. I think one of the things they said that it's like it had like a really like 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 weak bone structure or something like that. So they thought that the Dilophosaurus would uh it, it wasn't like strong enough to like um attack its an attack its like prey um just straight on. So they had to like put like they had to like spray venom to give it like an advantage. But um I think they've since like disproven that theory with the Dilophosaurus. So and then the Dilophosaurus got into um, 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 what was it? It got into uh, Nedry's jeep and uh, decided to eat him. So, and then in the process, Nedry lost the uh, in the process, Nedry lost the Barbasol can, and then it kind of showed this little ominous scene here in which the Barbasol can got covered up by a puddle of mud, and. I always wondered what they were gonna. I always wondered what they did with that. I wonder what happened to that scene. I wonder if it just got kind of trapped in the mud at Isla Nublar there, because you know we we never because I don't think even I don't even think uh Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom even references that. I haven't even seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. To be quite honest with you, so. But like I know Jurassic World doesn't really you know reference it the Barbasol can at all either, so. All right, so so now where are we at? So we are now all kind of separated. Um, we have Malcolm. He's essentially at, we don't really know where Malcolm's at right now. He's kind of hiding in the in the ruins of the uh, of the broken down uh, like um, bathroom. Nedry's dead. Um, Arnold and um, Hammond are back at the complex or back at the um, the main control room. And then we got Ellie and Muldoon that are going out to find a Lex and Tim and bring them back to the to the main um, to the main control room where Hammond and them are at. And now we have Tim and um, Grant in a tree, and Lex is also with them, but Lex didn't climb the tree with them. So, and so now Grant has climbed up into the tree in order to uh, um, in order to save Tim. So. But unfortunately, um, so Grant, so they're up in a tree now, and Grant's trying to get Tim out. But unfortunately, Grant has to turn the wheel, and that's gonna cause the. Uh, that's gonna cause the. It's gonna cause the vehicle to kind of start slipping out of the tree a little bit quack a bit uh, as I almost said quacker a bit quicker. If we can kind of hear the sound effects, we were like, oh, the tree is, uh, the, it's almost, almost about to fall down. So. I love how like Grant's trying to like talk Tim down and he's a uh... Uh-oh. And then Grant, let's see there's like a scene in which you kind of hear like a limb. And then we kind of see the 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 Ford Explorer starting to fall down out of the tree and it almost hits Grant but then he gets saved by a tr by a um, luckily a nice tree limb there and then they keep climbing 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 and then obviously the suspense keeps building the tree limb can't hold the the tree limb can't hold it for much longer and then and then the car starts falling out starts falling down not out of the tree well out and down of the tree maybe the same thing so
And I love this scene here. It's a bit of a funny scene. They get the the the, the car falls right on top of them, but they just so have. It's kind of like one of those old like silent film gags in which like the the side of the house falls on top of the guy, but falls on top of the guy but like he goes through the window and it's and the, it basically what happened with them in the car essentially falls on top of them and they essentially go right they go into like the little hatch where the where the roof is opened at and so now they discover the uh the remains of uh, Do- of uh, Donald Gennaro So yeah, I think I forgot to. Ma- I wanted to mention something about the T Rex roars. So you keep and so the Jurassic Park. I mean, when they made this film, they didn't really know honestly, like how what a T Rex would sound like. Of course, you know, T Rex hasn't been around, you know, for hundreds and hundreds, you know, th- millions and millions of years. And when they actually, you know, were making, you know, the when they were, you know, making the scenes of the T Rex here. Um, you know, they would actually, I mean, just like, I mean, they they wanted to treat, you know, the animal, like the T-Rex, you know, and all the other dinosaurs like, you know, real animals. That was one thing that Spielberg was, um, you know, that was one thing that he was really adamant about what, when making this film was he wanted to, um, he wanted to portray a, um, you know, a sense of real a realism and, like, not just make a monster movie, but, um you know, portray them as real, you know, real animals, and, um, they kind of did that, they, um, kind of did that as, um, they kind of showcased that, you know, with some of the movements that they, that they show the dinosaurs making, they said, they kind of show that dinosaurs kind of moving their heads, and like, moving in an animalistic manner, you kind of saw the T-Rex moving like a dog there, and the, the roars of the T-Rex are actually, I think, what was the, it was a roar of a baby elephant mixed with a tiger mixed with an alligator and the breath is of a whale's blow. And then they and then they in the scene later they actually use show they actually use the um they use the um a, a sound of a dog attacking a rope toy for the for sounds of a T-Rex eating later. And um what we get here is we get another one of those um impact tremors which is those water ripples in the which are those water ripples in the ground and then as we see, there is a T-Rex that is not far behind, and it starts chasing after them in the jeep. And then you get a, and then you get Malcolm, uh, and then you get Malcolm in the back. He saying, "Must go faster." It's like his fame. It's like his famous line of the movie. I think what they said in this film was that they thought that a T-Rex could go about like, was it like? Six, they thought at first the T-Rex could go about 60 miles an hour, but then I think they, when they were trying to do production, I think they had paleontologists that said they could go 60 miles an hour, but then while they were making the film, they thought that was just going to be either too ridiculous or just too in, in, like not feasible, so they just, they even have the, the quote earlier in the film in which John Hammond says that um, the T-Rex, we've clocked the T-Rex at about 25, 30 miles an hour. Um... I was just kind of talking because you, you just saw the T-Rex kind of chasing after the Jeep in the scene here. Um, in fact, actually, part of that scene was um, kind of parodied in the Toy Story in Toy Story 2 where you have, like, the scene where, like, all the toys are kind of driving in a car in, the, in Al's toy bond, and you see kind of Rex from behind, 
and he, you kind of see Rex in the rearview mirror. He looks like the T-Rex that you know Muldoon had seen in the rearview mirror there. So. All right, so now we have Grant, Lex, and Tim. They're climbing a tree so they can get to, get to high ground so that they're not, you know, in any kind of harm's way, so to speak, so. And we get the and we get a funny scene in the trees here in which we get the brachiosauruses and another shot of the brachiosauruses and the brontosauruses, so. I love how Grant. I love Grant's like he's trying to imitate the the bront the bront the brachiosaur like you know kind of call that kind of thing. So and I love I love the little quote by Lex here. She says that you know oh my gosh don't attract them they're monsters and blah 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 and you know she does obviously he's scared you know scared, you know, shitless, you know, from the encounter with the T-Rex, so. Again, it's, not that, it's kind of that thing. I think a lot of people, you know, when they, you know, a lot of these, you know, dinosaur movies that they have, it's a, um, a lot of dinosaur movies, you know, I feel like they're just the two, like, monster movie type, you know. It's just like, you know, movies where, you know, you get these creatures that, you know, go around eating people. But at least I think with this movie, I mean, at least with Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park, I mean, as the later ones went on, especially the Lost World and um, especially even um, Jurassic World and, uh, you know, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It, I mean, the, the franchise kind of just devolved into essentially just a mon into monster flicks and, you know, mo monsters eating people and that kind of thing. So with whereas with this first movie, it's actually like a realistic look at, you know, whether or not wh when, you know, dino when dinosaurs would come back to, you know, if dinosaurs were to come back to life, you know, it was a realistic look at, you know, what would happen. And, well, if you get, like, these, you know, big, you know, T-Rex, you know, car um, you get these big, you know, T-Rex, um, uh, um, oh, jeez, what's the, I literally just forgot the word for what a meat eater is. No, it's, it's, it's like a carnivore, a carnivore, that's what it is, a carnivore, something that only eats meat, so. So I mean, and it's a real. I think it's a realistic look at it. I mean, you get a carnivore, you get these, you know, big giant carnivores, you know, and you get, you know, kind of puny humans, you know, together. You know, it's probably gonna be what's happening. Kind of probably gonna be what's happening. So. So this is a nice little scene. We're kind of a bit of a lull in the action now. Um, so we have. Um, John Hammond and Sattler, they're kind of sitting around a table in the empty um, visitor's complex, and, you know, Hammond's eating a bunch of ice cream because he's going to go cold, going to melt if he doesn't. And you kind of get this sympathetic, you know, we get this sympathetic moment with Hammond where he kind of, you know, is, where he kind of knows that, you know, his park dream is basically lost and that, you know, he's kind of gone a little bit mad with power, you know, especially with that genetic power that, you know, we and Malcolm was, you know, talking about earlier. But, um, but he doesn't really say, you know, and he doesn't, it's not that he's been like mad with it. He was just a little bit too enthusiastic about it. And he didn't really see, he didn't really kind of stop to consider the, you know, the consequences of, you know, something like this actually happening. So, 
Um, and of course, it's also another instance in the movie in which ha- in which Hammond is portrayed much more sympathetically than he is in the in the book. Because um, in the in the movie in the book, after all the you know after the T Rex attacks and like after like everything kind of goes to you know after everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Hammond's still of this mindset where we can still get the park online and we can still do all this. We can still, you know, do everything. And he's kind of a, and he's kind of, you know, a little, you know, a bit of a dick about it where he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get everything back online and, you know, and damn the expense or damn this. And um, he kind of, it's, it's kind of, you know, the whole idea where, you know, I think the whole idea of Hammond's character, especially in the first Jurassic Park film, is that this is a guy that essentially, and I think, I think I also, I think you kind of see it with um, a bit of the white imagery, especially in this film. I don't know what he wears in the book. Again, I haven't read the book Jurassic Park, but um, I think it's about, I think it's essentially like just telling you know the the world that you know this guy is essentially, you know, he's playing God, and you know it's just and. You know, you you kind of see the the contrasting styles of their reaction to that, where where Hammond, you know, in the in the book, he, in the movie, he kind of realizes like the the he in the movie he kind of realizes the error of his ways, and one of the, even the line that he says right here, you know, when we have control, and you know, Ellie Sattler, you know, was saying like, yeah, we there. There never was control, you know, and that's the thing with Hammond is that he thinks that he can get, you know, full control, and he realizes that, you know, that's just impossible. And 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 in the book, you know, he in the book he realizes that that's not possible. And he, he actually, you know, in the book, he's kind of still delusional about it. You know, he thinks that he can, you know, resurrect the park, and he thinks that everything's going to be all, you know, hunky dory. You know, when we get everything back back online, and you know, every all the creatures back in their, you know, paddocks and that kind of thing. Um, then of course, you know, he's obviously a much more, um, unlikable character and kind of a, a meaner person in the, in the book actually. So, in fact, actually, um, I wanted to state that, um, Hammond in the movie, spo- spoiler, spoiler alert will actually survive and, um, Hammond in the book actually dies. So it's actually kind of, um, funny um in the book the way that Hammond dies is that he actually he actually um kind of falls down a ledge and he kind of falls down this hill he breaks his arm and then he breaks his leg and then he essentially gets um consumed by a bunch of um I think what they call I forget the full name but they're essentially they're 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 the 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 um the short name the short name for them is are called compies and they're essentially like these really small like you know there's these like really small like um you know carniv- carnivorous you know creatures that you know kind of you know they 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 move in packs and they kind of you know swarm their you know they they kind of swarm bigger enemies and that kind of thing and um Hammond kind of falls down this um he kind of falls down this like ledge and he falls down this hill breaks his leg i think he breaks his ankle and then he essentially gets you know just swarmed by all these compies and he just gets devoured um and they don't have that um they don't have the that um that death in this movie they don't reuse that in this movie they actually reuse it in the lost world for another character named uh Dieter Stark they basically he has it's like the same style of death in which he basically um falls down a hill kind of 
trips himself up, like breaks his ankle or something like that, and then he's and then he gets chased by all the compies, and he essentially um just gets swarmed and devoured by them. So. And now, and now we have another big discovery of Grant, and um, where he discovers a whole bunch of dinosaur eggs. And I always love the, I always love this scene because you can see like the childlike wonder in Grant's eyes when he's looking at the dinosaur egg. Now, one of the things that they, um, now one of the questions this begs to ask is. Earlier in the film, they said that all the dinosaurs that they breed on Jurassic Park are female. But what ends up happening is that um, they say that they use the frog DNA, and essentially what they say is that the frog DNA is that some frogs are known to actually switch genders, and that causes the dinosaurs themselves to be able to switch genders and actually breed, and then... And then, therefore, go on, you know, re- um, re- recreating. It's kind of, again, it's it, it's kind of like you know, thin movie science that kind of you know is able to like justify it. Which I mean, it, it you know, which it works. I mean, it's you don't really need this movie. It's not like a deep thinking movie. I mean, for some people it is, but not, I try to I just try to be entertained by it. But but um, but yeah. So essentially, what's going on now in the in the park is that you got all these you know animals that are changing sex because they're in a single sex environment and because of that they're now starting to breed and they're there's you know there's now there's now um, unauthorized breeding going on as they said earlier in the film in Jurassic Park so so now they're kind of faced with a bit of a major dilemma here. So they're faced with a bit of a ma- major dilemma here. So Hammond, so they realize that they can't really, so they're, we're back in the control room now. Hammond, Ray Arnold, Robert Muldoon, we got Ellie Sattler and um, um, Ian Malcolm. And essentially what they're discussing is that there's, um, and what they're discussing is like they need to, dis- they need to, um, they need to um, shut down the entire uh, system of of Jurassic Park, and then they need to basically that will reboot they, that will reboot the system so that it'll come on to its original you know startup you know modes and that kind of thing. But what that also means is that they're going to literally shut down all of the power, um, including the power to the remaining fences, um, which you know as we'll find out later has some some pretty dire consequences. So. I also didn't. I also forgot to mention earlier uh, Samuel L. Jackson's kind of catchphrase in this movie. It wasn't you know his you know standard MFers. It was actually a hold on to your butts, which you, which I always see in the um, in the in the trailer there. So. And so now they've shut down the system. They've. So they shut down the system, and then they um. What ended up happening was that all the. 
Um, and ah, I keep losing. I I keep getting distracted by the movie, which is a great thing to say about. Which is a great thing to say about this podcast. <laughs> um, um. So essentially, what they just said was that they um they shut down the system, and what ended up happening was is that you know all the all the computer power, all the lights went out, all the phones went out, but and they re and when they turned the system back on. There was still no power, but when they realized that, oh yeah, they're um, we need to um go to this maintenance shed and basically just trip all the bre- and then turn all the breakers back on. Um, and they need to turn all the all the um all the breakers back on to turn like all the individual computers, you know, you know, telephones and all that kind of stuff on. And unfortunately, that is going to be the last time that we see uh Samuel L. Jackson's uh, character in this film. Uh, he's um. Unfortunately, going to get eaten by a velociraptor later. And now, um, and now Tim, Lex, and Doctor Grant are now caught up in a in a swarm of in a herd of flocking gallimimuses. And I will say the, these gallimimuses. I mean, talking about the CGI effects earlier in the film. I mean, some of these um, scenes were actually uh, some of these scenes are actually do look a little bit dated if you look at the gallimimuses up. Up really close and all that kind of stuff, but you know the T Rex always I thought looked pretty realistic. To be quite honest with you, so. But the Gallimimuses I always thought were pretty um. Were always pretty uh. I thought the Gal I always thought the Gallimimuses looked a little bit sketchy. You know, CGI wise, they looked a little dated. I always love this scene here. You get a this little shot here. You had Grant, Lex, and Tim. They're all they're looking at. They had a T-Rex here that just came through and just ate up a Gallimimus. And um, what ended up happening was is that the... Um, what ended up happening is that the um, uh, uh, Tim and uh, Tim and Grant are kind of staring in awe of the T-Rex eating the Gallimimus. And Lex is like, I want to go, I want to go now, and all that kind of stuff. So Tim is now... Uh, and so they basically had to go now, so... There's also another funny line here that uh, Malcolm. So we're back in the we're in the bunker. We're now in this emergency bunker, and now what um what Malcolm says is, um I remember uh, John Hammond had a funny line there where he says um when Disney World opened up, you know it had major problems, but I always loved how uh always loved how um Malcolm said that um what was it. Malcolm said that you know, I was like, yeah, John. You know, when uh, when the Pirates of the Caribbean shut down, you know, the the pirates didn't eat the tourists. So, and so now what they're realizing is that you know something pretty terrible has gone wrong, and that they need to go out and uh, they need to uh, go out and um, basically look for Mister Arnold to see you know what happened to him because what's gonna and um, as you can see, Muldoon's a little bit. Um, Mul- you can see Muldoon. He's a tad. Uh, he's a tad um, worried, you know. And as we can see, late we you kind of saw him like at the beginning of the scene. He's holding his hat. You can see him. A, he's a bit um, kind of worried, you know, because he's obviously worried about the Raptors getting out. And you know, with the system shutting down, as I said earlier, that shuts down all the fences, all the electricity to the to the to the park. And we're gonna stroll right by the. Uh, the raptor cages, and as we're going to see, the raptors have um, have chewed their way out of the pens. 
now Muldoon looks and he see we see there's a uh, tracks going out into the forest. I love I love and then like Muldoon gets this like crazy like Captain Ahab look in his eyes when it comes to like dealing with the raptor so it was actually interesting for all the talk that we've seen of ra for all the talk we've had of raptors, we actually haven't heard, we actually haven't seen any raptors yet. So, I love Muldoon. So Robert Muldoon, his acting in this, like the guy, I don't know the actor's name for Robert Muldoon, but like the the actor in this scene, his acting is borderline comedic because he's like no we're caught and he's got like this crazed look in his eye as he goes hunting the as he goes hunting the velociraptors out there and so now Ellie runs into the uh runs over to the maintenance shed to try to shut down the uh to uh, try to turn the breakers back on And this scene always was just like horror, like an influence, obviously, because we're like a dark space and we know there's these like carnivorous, you know, terrible, you know, creature, you know, animals out there that are one step away from just maiming and eating your face off. So And even during some of the tension, even some of the tense scenes, there's still time for co comedy. I remember one of the the, the um, quotes that uh, there was a nice little exchange with uh, John Hammond and Ian Malcolm there. One of the things that um, I had, um, Steven Spielberg had read and, and that I'd heard in an interview with Steven Spielberg was that um, he would really wanted to make this film kind of funny because he even said, you know, if somebody had made a film that was a non-funny film about dinosaurs, and nobody would really even care much about it. So that was kind of Spielberg trying to you know, make the film, you know, quote-unquote funny, so. Also here, too, Grant goes, hold, he, he hold, he holds on to, he grabs the, the electric fence, and he pretends to be electrocuted, and, um, and then you love how, like, Lex was kind of, Lex was laugh Lex was, like, saying, that's not funny, and Tim was, like, laughing, so. Uh oh! They hear the T Rex coming. They got to climb over the fence. So they, and unfortunately, while they are climbing over this fence, Ellie is in the process of sh of turning the breaker of turning the power back on. <laughs> and I love he, again Ian Malcolm, funniest guy in the movie here. I love how he just he's like kind of rubbing his like face. He's like just oh my gosh. He basically just like grabs the. He just grabs the walkie-talkie out of um, John Hammond's hands because, like, Hammond is talking to Sattler on a by a walkie-talkie. So, so now they're climbing. So they're cli so now they're climbing the fence. Ellie is going in to basically turn all the breakers back on. Uh oh, high voltage. That's not good. Now, um, as we now as we'll find out here, I'm gonna spoil the movie just a little bit in the future here. As we'll find out here, um, Mr. Arnold, um, Ray Ray ja Ray um, Ray Arnold, you know Samuel L. Jackson's character, um, 
actually got eaten by a velociraptor, and we actually don't see it. What we only see is we only see him raise um, Mr. Arnold's hand, kind of fall out of a like a like a part in the wall, and um, we kind of see like it's like a severed limb and that kind of thing. So, and um, we and it's kind of a it's actually a kind of a, a pretty gruesome like depiction of an off-screen death. And what actually ended up happening was um, they decided um, they were actually going to film this big scene with Samuel L. Jackson to where they could. Um, um, to where um they would actually showcase um you know Ray Jackson no Ray I call him Ray Jackson to where they would showcase Ray Arnold's um death, um, but from what I but from if you remember from earlier the hurricane that hit the island of um the that hit the Hawaiian Islands while they were filming the scene here um that um that hurricane actually knocked out the power to all of the um. Um, that knocked out the that, that it did knock out the power. It actually um destroyed that set that they were gonna film, and then um so they weren't able to film that they weren't able to film that scene there. So unfortunately, we never saw the 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 death of Ray Arnold. So and so now um Ellie's turning all the breakers back on, and the uh, the last breaker that she'll turn on is the perimeter fences, and as she turns them on, Tim is standing on is Tim is still climbing down from them. And he gets some um, shocked off of the fence, and kind of hits the ground pretty hard. So, and then all the power comes back on, and then we get a pretty awesome jump scare with a Velociraptor in the background. So it's our first, so our first interaction with a Velociraptor. The I'd say the most famous dinosaur from Jurassic Park, the Jurassic Park franchise. Some might some might argue the T Rex, but I'd say Velociraptor. So. And so, one thing that I mentioned earlier is that the Velocir... Oh, here's the... Oh, one moment here. Here's the hand. Oh, that's a pretty gruesome, really fake-looking hand. You see that uh, Ray, Ar um, Ray, yeah, um, Ray Arnold has been uh, mutilated by the Velociraptors. Um, but, um, what was I saying? So, the Velociraptors, as I said earlier, the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park are actually technically not velociraptors they're actually um if you actually look at the skeletons of real life velociraptors they're actually a lot smaller creatures than them, what they portray in the film here and um what the and the skeletons that these creatures are actually most um um most um um are actually most based off of are uh, are another type of i think raptor type of animal called a deinonychus um, and so these are actually not really, if you actually would have seen a velociraptor in real life, these would have not have been, they wouldn't have been, um, these creatures, these would have been, these creatures would have been more Deinonychuses. Of course, actually what they realize now is that velociraptors actually would have had, um, feathers on, would have had feathers and that kind of thing. Uh-oh. And so, uh, Muldoon has, a. Uh, And so Muldoon was um, hunting one of the main raptors, and there was another raptor that caught him by the side, and um, then unfortunately ate him. Which actually was a callback to a, a callback to a line that we that actually talked over way earlier in the film. So if you remember way earlier in the earlier in the film, there was a scene in which 
the scene in which um um Dr. Grant was talking to that little bratty kid and he was kind of and he I told I told you all that he kind of petrified that kid for life about velociraptors and um one of the things that happened and one of the things that um that so one of the things that he was talking about was the way that velociraptors would um would hunt actually and that they said was that there was a velo- that a lot of times you'd have a velociraptor that's looking at you straight ahead and you think that you got him but what that what but and then there's going to be attack comes but it's not going to be from the front where you can see it but it's going to come from the sides so it's like and then the attack comes not from the front but from the sides and that's kind of what happened there where you're like you got that front you got one of those raptors that's basically baiting Muldoon into having all of his attention there with the with the with the shotgun but then from the side another raptor comes in and essentially yep eats Muldoon so comes in and pops out and eats Muldoon so Now, one of the things that's um, now we get another a nice fun scene here. We have the um, Doctor Grant just um, dropped um, Doctor Grant just dropped uh, Lex and Tim off in the um, in the visitor center, and um, they they saw this um, really uh, they they have this like big spread of like vegetables and like you know desserts and that kind of thing, desserts and like pies and all that kind of stuff. So Lex and Tim are having themselves a good time, but unfortunately Lex is going to see something that uh, unfortunately breaks the mood. I love the acting here. You kind of see her eyes just go like wide as saucers, and then you look behind them. Uh-oh, there's another Velociraptor. What's actually interesting there is there was a bit of off-screen movie magic happening, so Lex is... So what they showed is that Lex's arm was holding. So Lex had a like a spoonful of Jello in her hand, and um, what ended up happening was is that you know they had there was a, the sh- the shot showcased Lex essentially um, like shaking the Jello in like fear, but um, Ariana Richards, the actress who played um, Lex in the film, th- um, they didn't think that she would be able to get the the um, the the shaking the proper shaking that they were looking for so they literally had a a crew member off screen literally shaking her elbow to get the proper like the jello shaking like the way they wanted it to and i love this love this little like you know mention here where like are you sure so they where they talk about how there's three raptors and you know ellie says you know, are you sure that they're? Are you sure that they're all contained? I was like, yeah, I think so. Unless if they, if they, unless if they've learned how to open doors, and then right after that, they show a raptor here opening a door. So, now we don't know because it's never really specifically stated like which raptor. Because we show th- there's three raptors in this film that we that were um, that are basically showcased and. um one of them is nicknamed "quote unquote" the Big Raptor, and um, and um, that's basically they they basically call it that's basically like the pack the pack leader and that kind of thing, um, because I think that what they said is that that one raptor actually ate I think like another one of the raptors or ate like or killed two of the other raptors to like assert dominance and that kind of thing, and now they showcase the raptors. Going through here, looking for Lex and Tim, and then Lex and Tim are in there. 
And then you have so like the Raptors in these in this scene here is actually it's a mix of you know an animat it's a mix of animatronic heads, a mix of a guy literally walking in a Raptor suit, which they couldn't do for very long because what they said was that it was really kind of a physically demanding job for the Raptor for the actor in the suit to wear the Raptor head so to wear the to wear it all so. And then, um, obviously, in kind of full shots of the raptor, they they have um. This is a CG raptors, you know, when they show them like you know jumping on top of the, uh, jumping on top of the of the of the tables there of the tables here. So. So this is actually a, a bit of an interesting behind the scenes story with this scene. Um, one of the shot when they were a bit of behind the scenes when they were making this film, and this is. There were two scenes that they did this for. That they did this for was um, they did it, it was um, what they did was they made um, like, like stop motion animated like shots of the movie. Uh, they basically made like stop motion like you know basically scenes of the movie so that they can kind of show what they wanted the dinosaurs to be doing, um, you know during that entire time. And one of the scene and they actually I think. Um, Matt modeled out two scenes that they um that they did with for the movie here. I think they um they modeled um the T Rex paddock chase, and then they modeled the, um this raptor kitchen scene here. And there's actually if you actually I think if you have the original um Jurassic Park DVD, and I think even if you have the Blu-ray, I think it should be on there too. They actually have these anim like these stop motion animated scenes with like the T Rex with the raptors, and they basically are like stop motion versions of this um of these scenes here. And one of the things in that, and one of the things that was kind of funny um, in the stop motion scene of the raptor here, of the raptors in the kitchen, was one of the raptors. They showcased him having like a flicking tongue, so to speak, and um, that was one of the things that people were saying, like, yeah, that would never have happened because you know that's more like a lizard instead of like a bird. Which that's the 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 hypothesis that they said was that they um, went with uh, you know that the dinosaurs are you know evolved from birds instead of that are evolved into birds instead of evolved into lizards so and so and so now the raptor has chased um and now the raptor has chased the um chased um Ellie Grant into a into the uh, into the computer control room. Now the Raptor's trying to bust through the door, but now Lex, the computer nerd, is gonna is gonna like hop into like hop into the into the computer chair and essentially and basically boot up all the all the control all the door locks and that kind of thing. And again, it's such a great like scene of tension, you know. It's like the not only like it's great like action on screen, but like again, John Williams, uh, you know, score, you know, heart. I will say, I mean, this movie does put you on, you know, put you on the seat of your pants if you, if, you know. So I mean, not I mean, yeah, it's just you know, really pulse pounding sequence here, and Lex is trying to boot up all the. Lex is again trying to boot up all of the. Uh, all the door locks and all the all the security systems in the park and that kind of thing, and then she boots up the visitor center, um, lock, reboots the visitor center door locks. 
and then in in case and that now and then they lock the door, and then um now they also not only that they 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 have the door locks but they also have access to the phones, which they lost before. So now um it's kind of a funny scene where Grant calls John Hammond, and um Hammond and Malcolm look at each other like, is that a phone ringing? I didn't know that could happen. And so, you know, now they're, I love this scene, love this scene, Grant's like, you know, call the mainland, tell them to send the damn helicopters, such a cool looking like action action scene there, so. And so now they're climbing into the air ducts there, and uh, the Velociraptor has, they're climbing into the ceiling, and now the Velociraptor is essentially going to, you know, kind of force them out of the ceiling. Because they can, he can, the Velociraptor can kind of see where the um, the the where they are actually um, where they're like you know crawling in the ceiling. It's one of those ceilings with like the tiles and like the tiles can like you know be removed and all that all that kind of stuff. So this is I love this is actually a pretty interesting kind of behind the scenes like um, special effect right here. They showcase Lex. Um, they showcase the Velociraptor um, kind of pokes his head up into the into the ceiling and then Lex kind of falls down into the um kind of falls down into the hole that was created and Lex's and um Lex's character is hanging down kind of looking is kind of hanging from the ceiling and there's a moment where she looks up into the camera but when they were filming that scene um the char- the actress that was playing Lex was it wasn't Ariana Richards the actual actor actress that plays Lex it was a stunt woman and that um, same stunt woman, um, and what they actually had to do was they actually had to go in and digitally composite um, Ariana Richards' face onto the stunt woman because, you know, the stunt, there's a scene in which the stunt woman looks directly into the camera and, um, and um, you know, you would have known that it wasn't Lex. So that it was kind of a, bit, a bit more of movie magic, which at the time, you know, it's, it's a really short scene. But at the time, it's something that, you know, hadn't really been, you know, done before, you know, when, when you, you know, do these face swaps, so. And so now we're, um, and so now we're at the, we're kind of getting to the climax here. Grant and, Grant, Ellie, Lex, and um, Tim are getting um, cornered by the two, by the uh, two raptors here. So they're now two raptors because um, the one has been locked in the freezer by Tim and Lex, and the one from the, and it was the big. I think it's the big one, and then the one from the control, um, the control maintenance shed that Ellie closed the door on, and then was able to get out of that. They start. They close in to attack um, Grand Lex, Ellie, and Tim, but then all of a sudden the T Rex comes out of nowhere and literally grabs the raptor and just starts, you know, eating him. So, and. This actually was a, not the original intended um, ending to the film here. Um, what it, what they were going to originally do was the they had they had the scene in which um, Grant um, they had like Grant you know Ellie and the kids they were all like um, climbing on the um, on the what was the they had them climbing on the the skeleton of the T Rex in the in the visitor center, and basically what they were going to do was they were going to have the the Velociraptors get caught in the mouth of the of the T-Rex um, skull, and essentially that was how they were going to get killed, is basically by the skull. 
but what we realized is that that's not that w- that wasn't really the funnest of endings. So what they decided to do was they decided to reintroduce the T Rex because they realized how you know amazing the T Rex was, and then um to give the T Rex kind of one final send off, you know, you know, for the film here. So. And I love this scene here. It's a bit of a, uh, and I, it's a bit of a, a kind of a mirror towards the end of the film, towards the beginning of the film. You have kind of John Hammond stepping out in front of the helicopter, and he's kind of looking out um, into his island, and he's kind of looking, you know, he, he's looking really depressed because he knows that his dream has been kind of crushed. The whole Jurassic Park has been destroyed. Um, and then, but it kind of mirrors the scene earlier in the film in which they actually, when they land on Isla Nublar, where they land on Jurassic Park, and um, when they, they land when they land on Jurassic Park, and um, you know, um, Hammond kind of walks out and he kind of stands in front of the helicopter in the same like kind of image, but instead of looking depressed, he's like you know like triumphant because you know this is his you know creation you know I am God I've created this amazing park, and now you know he's been kind of knocked down a peg, and he's, you know, kind of realized that he's not God, so, and he's kind of, now he's, you know, and then he's realized that his, you know, dream has been destroyed, so, and so that's essentially the end here, you're going to get the wonderful John, uh, John Williams theme that plays us into the, into the helicopter flying off into the sunset, um, going to be a nice little, um, ending to the film here, so. So Jurassic Park was released um, 1993. Let me find the. I'm going back here. Go back to the uh, family. So Jurassic Park was re- um, premiered June 9th, 1993. Released um, nationwide June 11th, 1993, and immediately was a box office smash. Um, it was you know one of the biggest you know summer blockbusters. Um, you know, it was of the year. Um, of of the year. I remember. Um, there was a story about how, um, they were talking about how they had. Um, they, it was like a Friday, and it was like, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the seven o'clock and ten o'clock showings have been sold out, as well as tomorrow's seven o'clock and ten o'clock. So they were selling out. You know, theaters. You know, all across the board. And um, you know, not only was it is it a great um, just like a fun summer. You know, f- um, action. You know thriller film but I think a lot of people were I think the one thing that kept people coming back was you know dinosaurs had never been portrayed this accurately in film ever you know before it was you know stop motion you know stuff that you'd see in like you know movies like King Kong or you know you know the lost world you know Arthur Conan Doyle's the lost world or even you know previous you know dinosaur movies would all be you know stop motion and all that kind of stuff but nobody had ever seen you know, like you know real life realistic looking you know extinct creatures brought to life the way that you know Jurassic Park did and it was such an influential film for the time because you know it was a film that it really marked um a and in a, a, a the step a step up in the world of um you know CGI effects and you know computer generated you know imagery and effects and all that kind of stuff and um one of the things that I find actually was funny from the direct, by the special effects from Jurassic Park was, it actually was it actually um, influenced um, George Lucas to actually go back and um, 
basically um it basically it was essentially George Lucas's inspiration to go back or basically his green light to go back and basically make the Star, the Star Wars special effects um films because this was where he saw like this is where he wanted the special effects to be um when Star when he made Star Wars back in 1977 now it had kind of caught up to his what quote unquote vision and and he was essentially inspired by this to you know make his um you know makes you know the Star Wars special the special edition films you know using you know a lot of the effects you know using you know ILM you know the the people that made these special effects so um and actually I think from what I read I think he was I think George Lucas was actually one of the supervisors in post production I think he was actually one of the I think he was the I think he was one of the supervisors of the sound mixing in post production because one of the things that's interesting is um George Lucas he owns um Skywalker Ranch, which is actually a, it's a big, like, filmmaking complex, like, where you can do, like, you know, music and, like, sound production and all that kind of stuff, so, like, he owned, and, you know, Skywalker Ranch, you know, obviously named after Luke Skywalker, um, it's a very, it's very much a, um, it's a place where not only, like, you know, Lucasfilm films, like, you know, Star Wars and all that kind of stuff are made, but it's a, it's a, it's a place where, like, all kinds of films get get brought to you know do like you know post post production you know sound design and um, all that kind of stuff. So, and I think that's why um, they brought it to you know, and then that, that's kind of why George Lucas was you know involved in this production in some way. I don't know if he's even credited in this film. I think we might have to kind of watch. But um, so anyway, so again, you know, groundbreaking special effects. I mean, I'd say like this film and even Terminator Two. You know, two films that really. Um, were, you know, the pioneering films of, you know, CGI effects. Um, and then, you know, when it was released, it was a big hit, and and it eventually became, you know, at the time, it was the highest, you know, grossing film of all time. I think at the end of its initial box office run, it had grossed a little over $900 million, which nowadays is not, not a whole lot of money, to be quite honest with you, but back in those days, you know, $900 million was a lot of money, and um, it was all, it wasn't only it wasn't until four years later when um, four years later when Titanic was released and the first film to hit over a billion dollars and um, then it um, and then that kind of surpassed um, you know um, you know Jurassic Park here um, so again it's summer block but one of the most successful summer blockbusters of all time it was. At the time, it was one of the high. It was the highest grossing film of all time, um, only for about four short years, and then um, since that, it has spawned, I, um, you know, a, a franchise that has proven to be almost unkillable. You know, you, you know, they're still making Jurassic Park movies. I mean, I remember, I remember reading. I always watched Jurassic Park three when I was a kid. Um, I never, I, I, I. I Never watched Jurassic Park one as much as I watched you know Jurassic Park three and two, but um, Jurassic Park one is obviously you know I think the best of the Jurassic Park films, um, and then I watched the Lost World Jurassic Park and then Jurassic Park three, and then I remember reading for years and years after Jurassic Park three that they were talking about making another Jurassic Park film, and I remember for a long time I was like yeah they're never gonna make another one, and then they made Jurassic World and it turned out to be just a phenomenal success you know box office smash. And um, so they decided to, hey, let's make another Jurassic, let's make Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and let's make the next one coming out in a year. So, so um, yeah, it's just, it's the franchise that keeps on giving, and not only that, I mean, it also it's kind of like, 
I kind of hearken it to Jaws, um, in which Jaw after the filming of after Jaws was released, it kind of sparked the interest in. Um, it kind of like sparked the interest of um, the study of sharks and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, kind of it's kind of similar with like you know Jurassic Park and how after Jurassic Park was released, um, the study of you know obviously you know the the study the you know, the field of paleontology, they saw like record numbers of you know you know students and you know increase you know increase you know attention and um, interest in you know the in the paleontology field. So, not only has Steven Spielberg incre- helped increase the study of sharks, he's also helped increase the study of, um, um, you know, dinosaurs as well. So, all right. So that mo- so Jurassic Park is over. That is the final. So all the, we have gone through the credits, and I will say I've said about all I can. I think I've said about all I can about Jurassic Park. Um, obviously. Um, movie that if you have not seen I definitely recommend checking it out um it's one I think one of the most important films um ever made and plus it's just a great movie you know it's it's just a great you know fun little movie to watch not a little movie but it's just a fun movie to watch I mean it's got comedy action you know suspense you know cap um mix that with you know the great dinosaur effects and you know the the groundbreaking special effects that were done with the movie I mean it's no wonder it's it was the best movie in it was one of the best movies of all time. So, all right, everybody, that is all that I have for you today, and that's where we're going to leave the podcast off. Again, make sure to check out other episodes of the Movie Commentary Podcast on anywhere that you can get your um, podcast. We're also on YouTube, um, SoundCloud as well. Um, again, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Um, you know, again, also make sure to follow um, follow us on at the Movie Commentary Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you have and if you have any other movie requests, if you've listened this far and you want to make a movie request, um, shoot me an email. Uh, shoot me a shoot me a DM on the movie commentary podcast Instagram, Facebook. Also, I got my email at the movie um, the movie commentary podcast, all one word, all under underlined, um, all um, lowercase letters at yahoo.com. If you have any movie requests that you want me to do, um, I will work on those and um, get those released. So, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Hope you all are staying good out there. Make sure you guys are staying good to others. Um, Stay golden out there, and I will see you on the flip side.